Oh, man. And I, I'm one of those people that totally does that, even in my own Eberron. Like, I'm just like, well, you guys have other members of the of your guild right now, and they're going out and they're doing their own thing. And they're like, well, what are they doing? And I'm like, you'll not, you don't know you're doing your yeah, own you don't thing. know. You're on a mountain. <laughs> you're on a mountain. You come How back can, from your you mountain. You want to try and contact them? You need a special thing to do that. <laughs> so I do that a lot. So that's really cool. Wow. Welcome to Dungeons and Dinners, where the love of fantasy is food for thought. I am your host, Brett Lindley, and that was a sample from today's amazing conversation with Hina, also known as at Hina Squirrel on Twitter. Today, we talk about accommodating neurodiverse people in games, the power of the apocalypse TTRPG, care and kindness when making mistakes while playing, and so much more. If you'd like to hear a bonus episode with Hina after this main episode, or you just want to support the podcast in general to help fund future endeavors, consider a donation over at patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. At the $5 level and above, you'll get access to exclusive bonus minisodes every single week that range in length from 15 minutes to full-length bonus episodes, as well as gaining access to the entire catalog of previous bonus content. That's four additional episodes a month for only $5. So if you enjoy our conversation today, do not forget to head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners and help keep this podcast ad-free. Now let's get on with the conversation. Welcome! Take a seat anywhere. We'll be right with you. And as I said in the intro, we are joined today by Hina at uh, GM Hina at Hina Squirrel on Twitter. Uh, Hina, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Yeah. Um, and so for the uninitiated, uh, the bit of a Twitch streamer, you've got uh, Gray Shroud of Eberron on YouTube and a number of other things that you are involved in. So for those that may not be as aware, please give us an introduction to yourself and uh, what you do in the TTRPG space. Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Hina, and I am a neurodiverse, uh, non-binary dungeon mistress, as I like to call myself. Um, I run four different campaigns, if I'm counting correctly now. I run a Monster of the Week campaign, a, a few Dungeons & Dragons campaign, and actually play in a Shadowrun game also on that same channel. Um, I also have a specific workshop called TTRPGs with ADHD, where we talk about different ways to accommodate and make tabletop more fun and accessible for neurodiverse and neurotypicals alike. So we have a lot of fun with those kind of things. And I, I try podcasting. I do my best, but I'm still new in that world. So lots of props to you guys when, you, when I come out into a podcast. Lots of props. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, it's it is. I'm not going to lie. It's a lot more work than it sounds. It's easy to start <laughs> <Absolutely>. a podcast. <laughs> Like, yeah, you just sit down with a mic and you record the same things that like everybody's like, oh, we, we have these cool discussions. We should just record them. Like, that's the easy part. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I caught the hard part hard, really hard when I yep. first started editing and all that stuff. I went, oh, boy, this isn't just as easy as it looks. No, wow. no there's Ooh. a lot of post-processing and then there's marketing and <laughs> I'm still learning that. I'm terrible at it. So. Oh, my gosh. Um, I actually I, it was too much to where I. I run a Dungeons and Dragons one. My Grey Shroud of Eberron is actually on Anchor. And then um, one of our players for my Monster of the Week campaign, which is Will Branch High senior year, he uh, runs it over on Transistor.fm. So like, I was like, please take one of them away from me. I can't. I can't. Right, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that. I feel that a lot. <laughs> so I, I've heard this a couple of different times. I'm not sure. I So I'm going to come at this from a complete lack of understanding in this area. Is Monster of the Week like a setting or a guide or a group? Or is that I feel like I've heard multiple people reference this and I, I have no idea what it is. Oh, wow. Cool. I get to be the introduction for it. Awesome. Yes, please. Nice. I've uh, like multiple people have mentioned it. I'm like, I feel like this is a thing that's not like I thought when somebody said it, this is their thing. Right. Oh, it I got feels you. like it might be something more than that now. So Monster of the Week is a system that runs using Powered by the Apocalypse. So okay. it's it's a really cool system that's um, very narrative based. And basically you can run it in like any kind of. Um, modern setting it's not really you could probably make a fantasy setting i'm sure some people have but mostly i've seen them in in more modern settings um and there are a lot of different uh tabletop uh podcasters and streamers that run it and i just fell in love with how easy it is to jump in and and make cinematic things happen so i'm very much in love with that system it's it's published by evil hat games which i am a huge fan of 
Okay, yeah, and I've I've heard a lot of like it's Power of the Apocalypse. Yeah, is that correct. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, phone. I've heard a lot about that system as well, and have not. Yeah, I haven't delved into that one yet. So. It's a very good system. I highly recommend it. It's got really easy to use stats. The moves make sense, and you can adjust it as as you need. There are actually some homebrew materials that exist for Monster of the Week that are pretty awesome. Like I know that there's a monster deck you can bu- you can purchase, and I mean there are there are changes to moves. There are new playbooks that people make their fan made playbooks that even Monster of the Week likes to retweet and and share so that everybody can try those new playbooks out. It's a very awesome system. No, that's really cool. Yeah, I've I've heard a lot of both. Like I've heard of people like, oh well running Power of the Apocalypse or specifically running Monster of the Week. And I'm like, now that I've heard this three or four times, I, I've just it's at that point where I have to know more. So <laughs> it's so good. I I can't recommend it enough. That's really, really cool. Well, I'm glad that you've, you've kind of indoctrinated me into that now. Well, you're I'm gonna, welcome. I'm, I'm always happy to that. do that with everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's something. And it's one of those things where, I mean, I think that D&D is a great place to start. I think it's a, it's a classic, right? I don't think it's a required place to start by any means, but I think a lot of people generally do just because they're the most aware of it, right? Yeah. So it's the most comfortable thing. I, I agree with that because um, when I first started streaming, actually, I... I played a D&D game, but I didn't get into it enough. So I actually started GMing through other systems. Like I believe my first stream system was um, Green Ronin's Dragon Age Age system because I love the video game series. Uh, So I knew a lot of the lore. I already had a lot of books for Dragon Age. So it was so easy to make a world around it. Um, But I found that starting with books that were outside of Dungeons and Dragons made actually jumping into Dungeons and Dragons so much uh, easier, but I think it even still D and D is a really good um, point to enter. But I think a lot of people get a little bit stuck in there because the systems yes. look so different. So I always like to try and say, "Hey, it, it's okay, but try these other ones. They're so much fun." Because right. I fall, I fall in love with them every time. These new systems, like uh, Monster Hearts Two, is was a fun system that I tried. Um, you know, Thirsty Sword Lesbians is a brand new one that's actually yes. so much fun. I think I've run two one shots, and I want to keep running more. Um, but they, there are so many good systems out there that I, I always try to be the one that encourages people to try those other systems. Yeah, I uh, I actually really want to, at some point, try to find a small group of people to run me through Fate. Oh, Fate uh, is cool. It looks, it looks so cool. It, oh, my gosh. And there's so many tools that are that are part of Fate's core system, which is fantastic. So it's one of those systems that has a lot of resources. So, uh, yeah, I highly recommend Fate as well. Yeah, it's a, it's. I think that it's one of those things where I've... I've seen fewer people that have come to D and D from other systems mm-hmm. than I have the other way around. Cause I think I agree with you. I think that people can get stuck and feel like, well, this is the thing that I like. It's the thing that I do. It's the popular thing. Everybody else will know what I'm talking about. If I like, I, I mean, I, I suppose this still happens nowadays, maybe less with the pandemic, but like, it's probably easier to end up at a house party nowadays and say D and D and somebody there knows what you're talking about yeah absolutely Probably a little bit less so when i was going to house parties but <laughs> but um but i think it's a lot harder for like you, you're gonna show up at a, at a at a gathering that isn't a specific specific role-playing gathering and mention another system and have anybody really know what you're talking about it is i know that a lot of tabletop streamers and and um you know podcasters and such they like to use the term like they're they're too afraid to move on to a different system and i think yep. it's more along the lines of they see the differences and they're they just feel like well i already know how to do this so I'm gonna, i can I'm homebrew gonna... this and yeah 5e. i i yeah i can homebrew this into 5e and i think i'll be fine um because like when you move from D to an apocalypse space for example like the combat is totally different it's action reaction versus an initiative order so that can be really intimidating for a lot of people that are used to having to roll an initiative and combat in that certain time and actually know where you're supposed to go and what time and the thing i love about power by the apocalypse is like it's you're supposed to feel like a cinematic movie or tv show so you feel like the star of the show and so you know your character more than anybody so you know what your character can do and those moves are there to help accommodate for what you know your character can do that's really cool and i think that i think that it's like yes as a as a homebrew giant from a very early age i homebrewed dnd out of only having like I started DE at like I played my first game in junior high, but then that ended. And I was like, well, I want to play. And I knew, but I knew nothing. I didn't know that there was a DMG and all these books and all these things, because my DM didn't 
really indoctrinate me in that way. He just gave me a character gotcha. sheet and started playing. So I found like the second AD&D edition player's handbook. And I was like, I'm a player. I want to be a player. So that's what I need to play the game because that's how you play. And so I picked it up and it's like, it's got classes, it's got races, it's got some combat mechanics, but it has none of the, nothing for DMing a game. Absolutely. You didn't know that was a separate book. <laughs> and when you, for me personally with ADHD, when I looked at D&D the first time, it was so intimidating because I was used to like a lot of the rules light systems like powered by the apocalypse. Mm -hmm. So when I saw the rules, my brain would go what and I, I, yeah. I what am i doing and like i wanted like it was weird to say that my biggest goal was to actually dm a dungeons and dragons game when people would be like then just do it it's really easy and i'd be like it's so intimidating <laughs> no, though there's not. so much to learn yeah. and they're like i don't know anything that when i'm running i'm like wait really and then they finally start like realizing oh i yeah, don't have to know everything wow <laughs> i think that's funny because i think that a lot of other systems are in general maybe outside of like pathfinder lighter on the rules yes. than D&D. And but I think that uh, even myself included looked at other systems like I don't want to learn another rule set. I don't want to be the newbie again. And I think like I think the first system that I tried to pick up outside of D&D was like Rifts, mm. which is actually not even a rule system. It's a bunch of tables and charts that have no reference to each other. There's no, <laughs> it does not, there's nothing in that game that explains how to play it. There's just 50 books. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so I was like, well, I don't want to be the new person. I don't want to have to go through that again. But I think that there is a point to be made that like rules light systems shouldn't be scary because D&D really the way most people play it is a rules light game. Absolutely. We Outside all, we all play rules life. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's true. Like, I don't think I, I really utilize all of the rules. I actually like put like a little disclaimer in, in our streams and stuff like, oh, hey, um, if you if you're like, wait, they didn't follow this rule. Just, just don't worry about it. We're fine. Don't worry about it. We're doing OK. Because <laughs> I don't follow like all of the rules to a T either. And then my players yeah, are the I ones that actually go, hey, isn't aren't you supposed to have this? And I'm like, wait, really? <laughs> are we? There's rules for drowning. Come on, guys. There's rules for fall I damage. Just, what? Yeah. <laughs> if I fall down a mountain, I just assume I die. What do you mean? There's yeah, rules or roll. For... It's it's just one check. Yeah. I either tumble or I splat on a rock. What? Like, <laughs> yeah, I think. But I, and so I think that that's like we're already lying to ourselves about how confident and comfortable we are with the rules of of a system that like learning a new system shouldn't it shouldn't be something to be afraid of in the same way that like i'm not afraid when i first opened up like the pandemic board game and like oh we're gonna play this for the first time with a group of three people like okay well where's the instruction sheet yeah that's like, that's a great way to look at it how you enter a new new board game should be how you enter a new tabletop and i think a lot right. of it comes from um, how many resources are actually available with D and D? Like you can go to D and D Beyond. You can have like a billion different books and different homebrew things, and you can go on to the DMs Guild and you can find a whole bunch of different resources that you can download, charts, systems, all that different stuff. But when you look up for like things like Monster of the Week, you might not find as much. So you might feel a little bit more intimidated with how little the resources are. Um, which is why I, I probably like um, Evil Hat Games a lot because they tend to put a lot of resources available in their own systems to where if you look at the book and you understand it a little bit. And I think that's also why they make their I feel like that's why they make their books look a little bit smaller. So it's less intimidating. <laughs> I don't think they'll <laughs> it's say a little that. bit shorter spine. It, it, lo <laughs> it, it looks very small and it's nice to hold. It's nice to put into book bags and all that. And I think they actually asked, like, do you do you, do you guys think we should move to like D&D size books? And I, immediately my brain went, no, I love the small books. Please keep the small books. <laughs> But I think it's like it's to kind of make it feel a little less intimidating to show, hey, it's going to be OK. I promise there's not as much in here as you think there is. And you're not going to have to learn a million different things. It's it's just it's a, a velvety soft cover. It's nice. Just, just it give it a try. <laughs> You'll love it. It'll be OK. And if you don't love it, we got other systems you can try. It'll be fine. <laughs> I think that's no, that's uh, I think that that's I think having a smaller form factor is probably 
a, a again again they probably would they never wouldn't admit say it. it yeah but no. that's to but me it that's feels a, like a less intimidating function of the book genius marketing move <laughs> and if it's accidental like lean into it absolutely <laughs> if they want if they hear this and they take the credit for it, absolutely feel they can take it it's theirs yeah congrats guys because you did it <laughs> you did it you made a book less intimidating just by the size alone and that's that was enough for me to get started with it absolutely I mean, it's not the Iliad and the Odyssey here. So no. <laughs> Some of those D&D books look like I'm going to be reading them for days on end. And that's enough for me to go, no. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never cover to covered any. I don't know if book. I've ever met anyone who has, to be honest. I'm sure they, I'm sure that I have, but yeah. they never told me, but I've never like, right. I've never talked with somebody and they've been like, have you not read the whole book? Like I've never experienced anybody I... that did that. I think I know one person who could reference page numbers. Like they, they had like an adactic memory Whoa. in three, five in three, five. Oh God. This is, so I've, I've mentioned the, the person that carries quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes. The person that carries their books in two duffel bags mm -hmm. um, was a, a guy that I knew and really short, really buff dude. He really did. I mean, I think he brought around 80 pounds of books it per bag oh like one gosh. in each arm wow. just show up to places and he had like the entire three five block wow. and but then wouldn't open the duffel bags really they were just there just yeah. in case wow they were just there if you challenged him and he would and if you challenged him he would demand a monetary bet oh my god it was, it was a double he would always double or nothing so he would be like all right if you really think that's the way it is put down ten dollars <laughs> I will pull out the book. It's on page 237 on the left-hand side in the second column. I don't, wow. If I'm wrong, if I'm wrong about anything that I just said, if it's in the right-hand column or it's on the opposite page, I will double your money. And I never saw anybody get 20 bucks. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I could. That sounds intimidating alone. Like, I'd be like, it I'd just really be nervous was. sitting at that table. Like, he knows too much. I'm not sure <laughs> if he was really just the best BSer. I, like said it so confidently that nobody was willing to put up the money because <laughs> like <laughs> but i have i i think i saw like one or two people take him up on it well, to and, be fair it, either way whether he was really good at just kind of like bluffing <laughs> or if he really didn't know that either way that's props to that guy wow yeah, right? <laughs> i can't i can't remember what i ate for breakfast this morning exactly wow. i would be I, like i wouldn't know what books were in those duffel bags <laughs> no, i i barely know what's in my bags right now like i wouldn't what? want to carry those stuff like they no. were it was it was he's like you'll help me get my D, D stuff out and i'm like no no i do not i'll carry your screen oh god yeah, like if you have a bag of dice maybe but i'm not touching those duffel bags oh I know gosh I, I can't even imagine wow so, oh. Oh. <laughs> but yeah that's a Three five is not a rules light system. No, and no, no, no. It is sure. It, it uh, honestly, five e was where I started. I only got into this this um this uh hobby about three four years ago. To be fair, okay. so I'm I'm still relatively new to tabletop, but I I kind of dove into it really heavily. It became my hyper fixation for a long while. Nice. Now I feel yep. like it's a little bit of my special interest. Like I just I just can't stop learning about tabletops, and it's not just D and D in general. It's like all tabletops as soon as i see a new one comes out i'm like what is it about i need to look about everything like as soon as i see a kickstarter yep. i'm in trouble because i might I, I i unless i'm getting paid then i'm like oh maybe i could buy it but then like i'm like looking at it <laughs> without money and going maybe i could maybe i could make something work out mm, i really yeah, want I this often, kickstarter is like my wistful <laughs> dream space uh, it's the it's like, window shopping space absolutely yeah, I, it's more i think it's more than window shopping i think it like harkens back to like <laughs> preteen junior high me like looking across the, oh, yeah. the gym at the girl on the other side kind of thing and just like oh someday i'll have a love like in my books oh, especially with those like kickstarter limited edition <laughs> books that come out and they're like mm -hmm. also if you buy and you're like oh if only one it's day it's got a platinum cover and oh. gold leaf pages and, oh my gosh gee. <laughs> One day you'll be on my bookshelf. That's right. <laughs> One day I'll have you and appreciate you like a loving, caring. I'll appreciate you we'll like you deserve. That's right. We'll have such a good relationship, you and me and my bookshelf. I'll dust you every day. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Kickstarter is dangerous. I can't. Oh, I can't go there. I can't. With all the with all the tabletops that are out there, I I feel like I I actively 
avoided D&D for a while just to like mm -hmm. try and look at other things, especially with being with the Dragon Age age system. Because like yep. when I would bring that name up, they'd be like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, it's so good. Have you ever played Dragon Age? And honestly, that was some people said that was their like first look into tabletop was they were like, hey, you told me there was this game about D Dragon Age. So I bought it and I'm like, oh, cool. So That's like, awesome. it, you know, having that kind of connection to a video game was really cool. And so like I would look for different systems that I found just general connections. And then because D&D &D was intimidating, I'd pick up the book and then I'd be like, maybe later and it put right. it back down. But then eventually I, I like my fiance told me like, oh, you should give um, Eberron a shot. And that's why we do Great Shot of Eberron because um, the 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 um, the politics in the game just feel so good and, and the mechanics. And we even say that my, my Eberron is a homebrew because I don't read the whole book. So right. there are things that I change with it. I even bought um, Keith Baker's Exploring Eberron book that came out mm -hmm. not too long ago because I love the way Keith Baker writes things. He always writes with, um, in my Eberron, it's this, which I think is yes. fantastic for homebrewers and new GMs because then they can get the idea that your Eberron doesn't have to look like their Eberron. And I think that's a, a, that's a thing I'd like to see in D&D books, but I still haven't seen a lot of that yet. Yeah. But I'd love to see that more in D&D books is the, in, 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 the, in, the, this, in this version of so-and-so i would love to see a dedicated book on like they they got really close with the srds and and having like core system rules but they've yet to really and there's like side notes and snippets and mm -hmm. hints of but just fall into like the homebrewer's guide yes i think like, that would be great just an entire book on the pitfalls what you should homebrew what you shouldn't or not even should or shouldn't but like how to approach homebrewing different things and what you can like you can rename and recolor the standard pantheon from regular D&D like you don't have to build your entire yeah. one from scratch if you don't want to if you can though this is where you might run into trouble because there are things that you're not going to think about in in doing that I've I've had a couple of guests on recently that talk about uh homebrewing different time systems mm, right yeah like having a different solar system or multiple moons or suns or day lengths and like how does that affect your game and what are the things what are the unintended consequences that you probably aren't thinking about right now mm -hmm. like how is this affect lycanthropy right because yeah. in a year from now when you meet a werewolf all of a sudden you've got to you you your world is set so you've got to change something on one side or the other you know that to makes make sense it yeah and, and I, and I feel like when when we come to roll like homebrewing a lot of people tend to think if you're homebrewing it's all or nothing so like you have to make the whole world yourself or you have to make every little bit and piece about it by yourself yeah that's why i that's also part of the intimidation i think a lot of especially new gms looking to run a DD campaign um which was where my struggle came from uh, it was either i had to run it by the book or I had to fully homebrew based on like some information that I heard. And finally, like I would look at other people's streams and see like, oh, they're in Eberron. And I'm like, that's not how like that first part of the book was like that they could do that. And then it's right. finally opened my eyes to going, you can have a partially homebrewed world mm -hmm. completely. And and nobody can tell you otherwise, because that's just how D&D &D works. You can do whatever you want. Exactly. <laughs> I, I played in a campaign that was essentially half Eberron and half Ravnica. Oh, that's cool. Which is like a really, I thought that those blended really well together and using a lot of, because like, I feel like Ravnica is like, like Wizards is dipping their toes in this Magic and D&D &D crossover events mm -hmm. on both sides. But I feel like they're kind of half-hearting it. Like they're not leaning into things. Right. I think they're not, like 5e has done so well that I think they're afraid to take risks now. Yeah. I think 5e won risk and it worked. But now they're kind of trying to be dialed back and be really careful about things. Yeah. And but seeing like like Ravnica has a lot of cool ideas, but they're not necessarily executed well. And and the world could use a little bit of work to be runnable. Yeah. But Eberron's got a great world and has some of that political intrigue set up that if you swap out the, you know, the kingdoms with the different districts of Ravnica as a city yeah. and make each district its own country, 
then you've got something that you can really start oh, working with. That would with. be and really I, cool. Really wow, cool. that sounds awesome. Because I love Eberron, especially with like the dragon marks and such like that. Mm -hmm. And like the, the creation of the world with the dragons and how like the religions are different. And so like people believe different things. I, I just love Eberron and, and just imagining it with a crossover with another world. That's just Ravnica sounds fantastic as another. Yeah, Ravnica's got a lot of. I, I really like Ravnica because it replaces. You can replace background, mm -hmm. but the the I don't remember what it's called. The sects that you come from uh, give you more than just like starting cash. Like it can give you complete spell replacements. Yeah, or like you can you pick up chaos magic, so you now get chaos bolt and chromatic orb works off of a, a a wild magic table or something like that so you have these extra really interesting ways to flesh out a character build mm -hmm. but it the world of ravnica i didn't really jive with as much but i feel like eberron was a much cooler place to run that and and it mixes really well with Matt, like dragon marks yeah like absolutely. throw two or three or four of these systems together and 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 like ravnica has a whole system for actually earning rank and oh. you get, yeah, so there's, you can get rank marks outside of your level mm -hmm. and they can buy either very specific but powerful magic items or oh. favors from your, and each of the sects have different things that the favors are good for. And so you can actually get a lot of role play elements out of like, yeah, well, we're the, we're the people that are really, we're all spies. So by like rank two, you can call on a spy to go spy on another country. Wow, like, I love that. Like, yeah, and so you can get these kind of background. It's basically like the um, downtime adventuring mm -hmm. while you're adventuring. That's really you cool. you can assign somebody else to go do it. Oh, man, and I, I'm one of those people that totally does that, even in my own Eberron. Like, I'm just like, well, you guys have other members of, the, of your guild right now, and they're going out and they're doing their own thing. And they're like, well, what are they doing? And I'm like, you'll not, you will know you're doing your yeah, own you don't thing. know. You're on a mountain. <laughs> you're on a mountain. You come How back can, from your you mountain. You want to try and contact them? You need a special thing to do that. <laughs> so I do that a lot. So that's really cool. Wow. And I love, I love the idea of taking like different parts of the different worlds you like and just kind of melding them together in, yeah. in that neat little package. And, and I think the problem a lot of people think about with homebrewing is what if I make a mistake? And because it, it is difficult to make homebrew and then something doesn't jive well, like it causes a, a plot hole or something that doesn't work out quite well. And I feel like um, I also like love to vouch on my uh, TTRPGs with ADHD um, care and kindness when it comes to players and GMs is that understanding that your players will understand if you make a mistake. I mean, if they don't understand, then that's on them, to be honest, because there's only so much that you can do as a GM. Being a GM is hard enough. And so, you know, your players should be understanding if you make a mistake. And I think it's OK to make those mistakes because you won't know what to do if you don't make those mistakes. It's part of the learning process. So like just having that idea of like grabbing things from Ravnica and then like maybe something doesn't meld well with the Eberron world and you just go, oh, wait, this doesn't quite work out well, you know, understanding to pause the game and go like, hey, so let's I want to rework this just a little bit. So maybe we can collab a little bit together and figure out how we can get it to work. And I think a lot of people are, especially with like games like Critical Role and, and other podcasts where you don't see that kind of thing happening where it might happen off of the scenes. I think some tables are concerned with how that goes like when we were doing monster of the week there's actually luck moves that work with these with the characters and with those luck moves i'm going off topic just a little bit no, but it kind it. of works with it um with luck moves they actually work with the characters so the character can use something called a luck point to make an automatic success meaning they really needed that point to work they only have a limited number of luck points and they don't regenerate easily um but the luck moves were working against me as a gm personally because like the way i built my world it's like a high school kind of story and the luck moves like the spell slingers is like a wizard comes to your home and you're and something happened. I'm like, what? That is that won't happen in my what does that mean? Yeah, no, that's not where they're coming from. Where is where I'm gonna have to make a wizard? <laughs> so like we we looked online and we found like different people that found different ways to help with that because the luck move thing was the biggest issue I think that a lot of people had running because it's such a new concept. Um, when you're used to games like Dungeons and Dragons. And so like one I found was instead making luck rolls to where the players feel using their luck points in a more a mechanical way. So like they're modified, they roll a luck move that they just made up. And like, let's say they're trying to do something like jump over a, a building and get to the other side. Instead of making like, 
um, a strength check or whatever it is, you would make a luck move roll and you would have a modifier based on how many luck points you had left. Okay. So that kind of adjustment, we didn't show that on the stream, of course. I did talk about it on the stream, but we actually talked about that as a group. And I told him, I said, hey, so this luck move thing working against me 100% as a GM. I can't. <laughs> yeah. I keep writing down that you used a luck move and then the luck move never comes into play. So, I mean, like, and you also won't know if it happens because I'm not just going to be like, that's your luck move. Ha ha. So, right. I mean, I wanted it to be uh, instead of function that worked, you know, for its uh you know for them that they would actually feel the consequences of using those luck points and now they use less luck points because they're like i don't want to lose that modifier right you want so, that high level modifier yeah so they want to keep that high level modifier and some of them already used so many points so they're already at a zero modifier and they're like oh no <laughs> so they're yep. feeling the, the consequences and they're hoping for maybe something that will get them their luck back uh and i think it, that same kind of thing applies to homebrewing for other things. When you find that something you added may not work 100%, it's okay as a DM to go, hey, so the thing we did, not really working for me, not really jiving for me. How do you guys feel about it? Do you feel like you have an idea of how we can make that better? Because that's really the, base, the best part about tabletop is the collaboration efforts. And and I think a lot of DMs are afraid to say that because they have, they're in that leadership role. They're afraid to kind of come out and say, hey, this ain't working for me. I know I made it, but it ain't working for me. What can we do to make it better? Because I'm not having a good time with this mechanic that I've implemented. <laughs> yeah, ego is a difficult thing to get over in, in any sense. And I think as a DM, there is a lot of pressure to perform and and do things right and do them the way other people are comfortable and, and the way that they see them. But I think that, I, I try to really heavily advocate for, uh, and and maybe it just needs to be renamed. But you can have more than one session zero. Absolutely, and and you can have session zeros mid campaign. So I like, I did actually rename ours. We call them just um, check in campaigns. So they're just check in sessions. So um, we do have a session zero, which is the character creation thing. But then every right. every year or so, we hope to have these check in sessions where it's like a, a session zero. We check in. How do you like your character? Do you feel like your character's reaching the goals that they wanted to? Do you feel like there are no more motivations? How can we fix that? How can we add more things for your character? Do you want to try a different character? How can we possibly no. retire your character? Um, because you don't see those a lot in, you know, public spaces, you know, like they happen. I'm sure they, they do, happen. but you don't, I'm see sure it, that, I think, you know, in some streams or in some, like, especially like critical role, you'll see shopping and stuff like that, but you never see them talk about like how they feel about their characters. That's all off camera. Mm -hmm. Um, cause like, even with what was it, um, they were talking about relationships a while back and, and, and. Matthew Mercer was like, oh, no, this was talked about. But we don't see that discussion of when it was right. talked about. And I think not seeing that, we have this strange mentality as DMs that go, well, if they're not talking about it, I shouldn't be talking about it. Mm -hmm. And it's that strange perception that, you know, kind of holds us back. And then we're not caring for ourselves, which is why I think it's a very big care act for the GM. Uh, and also these videos that exist that say like, um, what makes a bad GM or what makes a good GM. Sometimes right. those can be counterproductive and, and mm -hmm. intimidate new GMs from looking into it. While they're intended to, you know, help you become a better GM, I think in terms of how I feel about those, there are so many different types of GMs. Like I'm a different GM from somebody else. Like my fiance is also GM. He likes to run a lot of combat heavy things and I find his campaigns fun. I don't think he's better or worse than me. I think we're both very different. And I love that diversity because you can go to any D&D podcast and it sounds different. Like right. that's why I think so many exist out there is that you can just enjoy somebody else's gameplay style or, or campaign style. And, you know, I think it's better that we all just kind of go into that mentality of it's different and you can do things that improve on how you want to be a GM, but it's really your own perception on, on how good you are. And no one else can really tell you you're a bad GM or a good GM. It's really just your own personal perception on how you feel about what you're doing. Are you doing the things that you're enjoying? You feel like you could do more to make the game more fun for your players and for you. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, having that session where you're just like, OK, how's everybody doing? Even the GM should talk about it, too, like yeah. with mechanics that they're not enjoying. That can be a great thing. Like that could have been a great thing where I talked about my luck move thing where I'm like, hey, uh, this luck move thing's not working um, or going like, hey, maybe we should change systems up. The system's not really working for me very much, especially when you're in like a game 
like um, Monster Hearts 2. That's actually where my Monster of the Week campaign started. And we oh, all nice. had that discussion and we're like, so Monster Hearts 2 is a great system, but not what now seeing you guys play for a few sessions, it's not really working with what we need. I can't come up with moves for you guys. And I know you guys love to roll dice. And so I'm. it's not working for me. So maybe mm -hmm. Monster of the Week might work better. And then we all fell in love with it. But if we didn't have the discussion, it wouldn't have happened. Right. Then you're just playing. Everybody's just slightly uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, it can be difficult to it's it's I've noticed it's always easier to have the discussion, even if the discussion is an uncomfortable one. And I think this applies to a lot of places in yes. life. It's always easier to have a slightly uncomfortable discussion than to live in discomfort. Absolutely. Because you because you won't. And, and I think if you have a table that you feel safe and comfortable in, that discussion should feel uncomfortable. Yes, for sure, for beginning. But it should you should feel listened to and appreciated when you when you come forward and say, "Hey, I'm uncomfortable with this." Because if you're at a table where like someone's like, "Well, this is just how it's done," that's automatically a red flag, and it should be a red flag right. when you see that yep. kind of behavior from a player or a GM. Um, and instead, you know, you you need to make sure that your table feels safe and comfortable for you. And then figure out what to do next if you're not feeling that way. Um, but I found that a lot of the tables that I create, even with people that don't know each other just yet, they all have this really good uh, mentality of talking to each other. And like they send memes and chats and all of those fun little things. And they get they we do little just chatting things. Like I think I've just had straight up video game sessions with my with my players when we don't play games. Yes. So that they can get to know each other. Like we've played like, what was it, Jackbox? And we've just chilled okay, out yeah, and yeah. we're like, hey, let's get to know each other. Let's play Jackbox and let's get to, you know, let's. And then we even talk about like now, like if we ever were able to get together, we should hang out. And what would we do if we hang out? So, mm -hmm. you know, those kind of relationship building things. But I think that helps in making the table feel fantastic. And I think a lot of yeah. people, when they're playing with their usual friends, they feel like they don't need to do that kind of stuff. When in reality, it's still important to make sure that the table's all meshing together in a, in a positive, comfortable manner. <laughs> I think, well, and I think that there's so much, I'm, I'm so happy that there is so much more of that coming out of the TTRPG community. I've talked uh, a number of times about how, you know, I didn't live through the full rise of TTRPGs, but I lived through the bulk of the 90s. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and just seeing where things are now, I think that it's, I, I'm always just ecstatic about uh, any group of people that brings approaches TTRPGs with their own flavor and flares and, and bring something new to gaming in that way, because I think it is, it's so much, I don't want to say easier. I think welcoming mm -hmm. to bring in, uh, you know, neurodivergence or, uh, orientations or any number of different, you know, personality traits mm -hmm. into the role-playing scene than it is in a lot of other, a lot of other places are just by their very nature constructed by others. Yes. And like, like video games are sure there's a lot you can do in a video game, but you can't rebuild the back of the video game right. to make it however you want or to represent people or things that you're more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. The best you can hope for is a modder that might have done something similar for you. Yeah. But in, in TTRPGs, they're just so welcoming and so open to building what you want that I think that it is very easily for rapid adoption to occur. Mm -hmm. And so I love hearing things like workshop for, uh, you know, workshopping for, for TTRPGs with ADHD and helping to accommodate neurodiverse people and bringing neurodiverse and, and neurotypical people together mm -hmm. and, and teaching each other how to play on both sides. Because it's not just you need to act this way. It's right. what can we do together so that everybody can get maximize the entertainment value Absolutely. of what we're, what we're trying to do. And, and I, I think I created um, TTRBGs with ADHD. I actually had to like workshop the name on Twitter and I was very thankful that um, I had a few friends that had great names because there are a few podcasts that exist out there that are for that have that kind of name or that, that kind of feel. And so I, I think the reason I, I created it was because personally, um, I mask a lot of my ADHD. So if you if people just play with me, they might not know unless I actively say, hey, I have ADHD, so I might not focus very well. Um, and so I, I recently just started learning more about my ADHD and the accommodations I need in a workplace. And it, I realized if I need these in a regular workplace or in a regular day-to-day -day basis, I'm going to need these also in tabletop. And there's probably others who don't even know that they have you know, ADHD or, or these kind of neurodivergencies that still need assistance. So that's kind of why I don't like to 
say just neurodivergence. That's why I also say neurotypicals are more than welcome to join in. But also you never know what at your table, who at your table is neurodivergent or not. Um, but even still, a lot of the techniques and stuff that we talk about, like um, Evil Hat has an amazing buildable sheet for Monster of the Week in Roll20 that's free, that comes with when you just pick the system, it just comes into the character sheets that's already made. And I, I told them that, uh, you know, a lot of people that, and they were like, oh, that's great. And a lot of those were neurotypicals that I told, like, hey, you can have a buildable sheet instead of having those right. like worksheet style things. Because when I see those worksheet style things, my brain goes to elementary school and I'm like, I don't know what to write in that. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do I that. Do that. I, I'm done with my times tables. I'm, thank I'm, you. I don't want to do homework. <laughs> so like, right? but if you see a buildable form, then you start coming up with ideas spontaneously. You say, oh, I can make a monster. Oh, this is the monster. Oh, but the monster should have a minion. Oh, here's the minion oh wait what's their layer like and there's their layer instead of having yep. to like look at the sheet and jump around which some people can do but personally yeah. for me i can't and so understanding that every gm needs different accommodations and players need different accommodations as well whether they're neurodiverse or neurotypical anybody really i think that's yeah. important I mean, that consent we understand worksheet. yeah seeing consent worksheets become a thing and the number of free resources that kind of started as just little homebrew things mm -hmm. to other people, like everybody putting their own skills and abilities in until this becomes an amazing, adaptable, mm -hmm. functional tool that others can use. Like it was something that I wasn't when I played before that was even a consideration. Mm -hmm. And once somebody was like, oh, well, you know, they make consent worksheets. I was like, that is amazing. And, it, and it's now fantastic. I, <laughs> yeah, I won't run a game without giving one like. And I'll do it as a Google form. That's how like, I do it too. Do it uh, anonymously. Yeah. Just, I don't need to know who says what. You don't have to put your name in. It's an anonymous link and I'll aggregate the scores. It'll aggregate the scores mm -hmm. and just spit out the max level of everything that I can do and what things to be aware of. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's, that's glorious. And like the, I, I keep coming back to Evil Hat because I just love them. I, this is my love letter, probably to them. They can. I hope the, they love me back. Bring it. I'm gonna. I'm. You've oh, already got me invested. Yes. I'm gonna go. Uh, they're so good. They recently just released a a new um, add-on for Roll Twenty games. You can add them to any of your games or tables that currently exist, and they are just um, safety tool kits. So you can have a deck of cards with the safety tools like X card and rewind and all those, or you can have macros at the bottom of your screen that let you put them in the chat. So if an X card needs to come up, it comes in the chat and you get that little da ding noise so that you can hear that it's that somebody posted something in the chat and you can see immediately, oh, so something happened. So we need to pause, we need to stop and we need to move forward from that area. Or it's a like the fact that that's completely free is a fantastic mm -hmm. resource that I think a lot more people should. I think I added them to all of my games as soon as it was announced. I was super ecstatic. Roll20 also has one, but I loved Evil Hats because of the macros and how the, the cards looked right. and felt. And so I was like, oh, I, I told everybody that ran games. I'm like, you got to add this add on to your. Oh, my gosh. Even if we never use it, these are so cool. <laughs> yeah. Just the fact that, again, the fact that they're there, mm -hmm. like the, the, the goal is hopefully you never have to use. It. Absolutely. But I would much rather, you know, have it not need it than need it and not have it. Absolutely. And and I've never I've I've been at tables and seen other uncomfortable players and seen nobody address it in the moment. And then the game ends and I feel like I'm the only person at the end of the night. Like, hey, can you stick back five minutes? Yeah. Like, hey, are you OK? Yeah. Like you looked. Was that personal? Was that something else? Do you want to talk about it? Like they're like, yeah, I mean, this is a moment at the table that. I felt really uncomfortable and I tried to say something in character, but it was really hard to even do that because I was in a bad space. And they really shouldn't need to say anything in character. Right. They should just be able to say, no, I stop. We got no. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, unfortunately, I was also in that chair not too long ago in the uncomfortable seat where I was playing in a game and something uncomfortable happened. And I my brain decided to just tell me, well, everybody else is obviously enjoying themselves. So you should be enjoying yourself. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, don't take away their fun. Right. And it's, that's a terrible space. That's a, and, and, but I get it though, because like I, I struggle a lot. I've talked about with, you know, like self-worth and confidence and I've, you know, been on my therapy journey for a couple of years now. And it, there was a time where I wouldn't 
say anything because I'm obviously the odd person out. Right. You're obviously just the one that's not enjoying things while everybody else is laughing and having a good time and going, oh, this is so cool. While you're the one just sitting there going, ha, yeah, it's so cool. These are just jokes at my expense. They don't really mean these things. Yeah, they don't really mean anything. They're not meaning to hurt me. I'm just taking this in a negative manner. I just got to go with it and I'm sure it'll pass soon. And finally, Mm -hmm. I ended up leaving that table without even saying anything. So they were never aware that I was ever in that uncomfortable seat. Uh, until I recently started talking about it in in the, the the workshop that I have, because in all honesty, it's one of those things that it's the table's responsibility and also our responsibility as players to also say, hey, I'm uncomfortable, but that's hard to do. It's easier said it than done. So that's oh, yeah. why having... Especially in the moment. Yeah, that's why having because those in the moment, you're not is so You don't good. have... I have confidence right now. Yeah. But when I'm at the table and this happens... It's it's a crapshoot as to what that how that makes me feel, how bad it makes me feel Absolutely. and how how much I feel like I can stand up to myself because I may not feel again the worthiness. And you and you to, feel to like you start it. looking at each player just double checking like are they having fun? I'm I the mm-hmm. only one not having fun. And you shouldn't even need to do that. You should like with the right. X card it's great because you can immediately click that macro and just say X card and then you don't even need to say anything. It's you're, the whole the GM knows you just move past it and you just move forward. And then you can have the discussion if you want to afterwards. Um, like I saw this really awesome um, scenario on another person's stream where I could see that one of my friends who was playing in the game was obviously feeling very uncomfortable and sad. And like even I was reaching out to her through, you know, a DM going, hey, are you OK? What's going on? And they're like, I'm fine. And I'm like, they're obviously not OK. Uh, yeah. But finally, the stream paused and they, they had that long discussion and they fixed it and they changed it. And that was great. But like noticing that kind of reaction, it's like we all can see when somebody feels uncomfortable unless they have a Mm -hmm. really good poker face. And nine times out of 10, we're not trying to hide that we're uncomfortable unless we're actively like everybody else is having fun. Then we put on the mask. But when we're first starting to feel uncomfortable, it shows. And well, yeah, and there's that check in, like you said. And I think that that the you know, doing check-ins is a really good thing that is, again, something that is discussed a lot more openly that both the players and the DM should be doing especially if the dm is focusing on one person mm-hmm. take that time to to just kind of lock eyes around the table mm-hmm. and give head nods give like thumbs up and also like, hard do... lines change and different things like that too mm-hmm. so like sometimes like i didn't know i had a hard line until halfway through one game and i'm like oh i don't like this and so i had to be like right. hey can you add that to my list that's not a good yep. thing for me i can't handle that <laughs> so having those but i've also hands. been in a position where like i generally hard line here but this is so crucial to the story, and this is such. And, but it, and it also depends on what you're doing with that hard line, right? And if are the GM's you taking that hard well, line yeah. for a joke, yeah, or are you really trying to build this, you know, deep interpersonal moment with my character's backstory that is supposed to feel a little uncomfortable, right? But as long as you're being respectful about that, and that's not every episode, right. it's not every day, yeah, it's a very rare moment, like. I may and and are you checking in? Yes. Are you are you like nodding? Are you like still cool? All right. Can we go further with this? Because there's more. Mm-hmm. And like and that's okay to stop the narration and do. Yeah. And say like this is a heavy moment. Is everybody okay? And I I think and, yeah I think the biggest issue I I hear a lot of people go is they don't want to break the narrative. They're so afraid of right. breaking the narrative because everybody's in character. And I'm like, but you are still a person. That is yeah, sitting everybody's mental health is more important than the your, silly chari- story we're your character the on the sheet gets put away in the folder as soon as you're done mm-hmm. playing, but you are still there and you need to take care of yourself. And so like, right. even like I play a curse of Strahd game also on my stream and I will out loud say this, this section touches upon one of my players hard lines. It's important though. So if you want to take off your headphones, feel free to remove them. I will give you a sign as soon as it's on. And I got the nod that it was okay to keep going. And I barely touched upon it still, but even still, it's still probably, I didn't know if it would be enough to set off somebody's, uh, you know, comfort levels. And they would be like, Oh gosh, no. So I, I told them like, if you feel the need to take off your headphones at any time, take off your headphones and they're all aware of that and they feel comfortable. And even if it is Curse of Strahd, even if they know this is a horror campaign, you're going to have you're going to hit themes that are really uncomfortable right. and scary. That doesn't mean you can't invoke these kind of safety tools because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes when I watch like scary movies or scary games, come, I kind of wish I know what was going on. But also you have content warnings that, uh, that right. are there that yeah. exist already. And and so I won't watch a movie if I look at those and I'm like, oh, yeah, no, gore. I can't watch that. No, thank you. you can put mm-hmm. that away, please. But there are some movies that aren't horror movies that have 
a moment or two of that. Yeah. And like, it really depends on on how invested I am in that right, moment. Absolutely. And there are some times where I don't want to see because it's just gratuitous. Mm-hmm. And there are some times where it's like, this is a pivotal thing that's happening. And, you know, I may I may just take it. I may just take this one. Yeah. And every day, and, every day is different. You could feel mm-hmm. okay with it one day and then not okay with it the next day. So checking exactly. in, even in the game, breaking the narrative just for a moment is, I think, very important. And I think not a lot of people feel comfortable breaking the narrative, but I feel like nowadays it's starting to be more of an accepting thing to break the narrative and check in with your players because really you're all friends at a table. It should feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and safe. Um, Well, and I, I do the same exact thing when, when cooking. Yeah. And it's something that I, I relate a lot of consent to allergies Mm -hmm. because if I'm going to have a dinner party with people, I can just make whatever I want. And assume that it is up to people to tell me if they have some generic allergy that could be very obvious, right? Right. And a lot of people will. Um, but I instead make sure that when I'm or if I'm organizing it, if it is a planned thing or if it's a day of thing, mm-hmm. that as people are showing up, being like, "Hey, just real quick, thanks for coming by. You know, super good to see you. Do you have any allergies? Absolutely. And and like, is there anything that I should be aware of, or just do you have any pr- food preferences? Mm-hmm. Like, would you rather the sauce be on the side? Mm-hmm. Because I'm that way. Like, I very much so am a, I want to try these pieces separately and maybe I'll assemble it myself because I have some weird food things, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to put those on other people. Right. I'm not going to say, please cook it this way so that I can make sure that it's okay to be cooked this way. Right. You know, like, but when, when cooking for somebody else, I want to make sure that like, are you going to feel comfortable? I don't want somebody to come over and then just sit there while everybody eats because- right. It has, you know, garlic. I have a friend that's allergic, like throat closingly allergic to fresh garlic. Right. But like powdered is fine. And so I don't want that person to not be able to eat. Yeah. And feel bad and have to sit out while everybody else is. And like, but it's really easy to ask. Absolutely. It's so easy. And not just, are you allergic? No. Cool. Do you have any preferences that I should be aware of? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and if there's an uncomfortable, like, well, I don't know, be like, I'm willing to adjust what I'm doing to make sure that everybody gets to enjoy it. This is how I plan on cooking that. You don't have to relay your preferences to me if that makes you uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to tell you how I'm going to cook it. And if that works for you, then just, you know, say yes or no. And if you'd rather me do it some other way, I can, it's no difference if I scoop the sauce on top or not. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's a great way to start the conversation. And, and that works. Yeah, absolutely. With food and with tabletop is, is the GM continuously going, even if like they go, I don't know the GM going, well, personally for me, I can't do this sort of thing. So like whenever I go to any parties, I tell them I can't, I can't do this kind of thing. So like if there's, and I'm more than happy to accommodate you or, you know, we can figure out something else to do. So feel free to just let me know what you want. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. I love that opening of the discussion. And I think a lot more GMs are starting to move towards that. And I find that so fantastic. Yeah, because I think so. I think that for a long time, it may have been thought of more like preferences, which sometimes it is. Sometimes, yeah. But sometimes it is allergies. Mm-hmm. Sometimes and sometimes sometimes I've got, you know, a friend that's mildly allergic to cats mm-hmm. and we have cats. And like, I'll tell him like, hey you know, make sure that you give me 20 minutes notice before you come over so that I can vacuum yeah. and, you know, remove as much pet to... dander as much as I can. Yeah. Right. Um, but I still have cats. So, you know, we can hang out back or do something in the garage or outside or whatever. Yeah. If it gets to you, just let me know. Um, but then like, so that's, that's one thing. Being accommodating if... where you can and, and letting yeah. them know what accommodations you can make versus what you can't make. Absolutely. And right. That's but I still have cats. Yeah. So if you're deathly allergic to cats, we probably need a different location. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> you can't accommodate everything, unfortunately, as much as you'd like to try. There's only so much. And I think um, that goes again to safety tools and stuff. There's some times where the GM's like, well, if they, if, if a player tells me they need this and I can't give it, I'm, I don't know how I'll feel about that. I'll feel really bad. So they'll try their best to look into that thing, but then they find that they can't. I actually had that, that scenario where there was an accommodation that was asked for and I absolutely could not grant that accommodation. I looked everywhere I could and I felt bad, but sometimes it's just important to say, Hey, this is the accommodations I can make, but there are some accommodations that I can only try and I don't think I can make that one. I, right. if one or ha- I just you know. don't under there's it's totally okay. It is actually maybe even especially okay to recognize as a, a narrator or somebody that is in that position that if you, even if you think you can make an accommodation, but haven't ever made that type of accommodation, let before, them know. Yeah. 
yeah, let them know. Be like, this is going to be my first time trying to accommodate this. Mm -hmm. So I could make mistakes. Or if you have advice mm -hmm. as I do this on ways that I can do it better, or just even just if I am doing it well, please make sure to reinforce me in that. Yeah. I'm going to feel on me. Absolutely. Like even just saying like, I, I believe I, I went to them and I said, hey, if you could find any you know, accommodations yourself. If you don't mind helping me with this research, that would help me a lot. I know you probably never mm -hmm. have needed this accommodation before. Or if you have, how was that table? How did that table look? Can you can you tell me about it a little bit more in depth? Like, how did that how did that GM accommodate you? Um, and then we can see if we can do that. Because especially with online gaming, it's a lot more complicated in right. giving those kind of accommodations. So, and and streaming makes it even more so because you always have to actively be talking and you have to be entertaining. Right. And so and you're, you're live. Yeah. Got, so some, there's there's a pressure. It's a, it's a bit of a pressure. So like personally on I have these sheets that everybody fills out, which is also kind of like, you know, their names and pronouns as well as their their safety sheets. But I also make sure they know the, the accommodations I can provide are so and so. But there are some that I, I'm going to try my best, but I might not be able to. So I ask for your assistance if you absolutely need an accommodation that I don't feel like I can properly give to you. So. And then if they choose to leave my table, I try not to take that personally. It's just, that's right. the reality of the situation. I didn't have the accommodations that I could grant for that one player. <laughs> well, and I think that, I think that on the flip side that that online play offers a lot too, because it does, it's a, it's a lot harder to interview your friends for an in-person game. It is. That feels very pompous and people <laughs> will take a lot of personal offense to that. Like we're friends. I don't need to interview for this. Uh, yeah. Right? And it's like, no, I think you absolutely should because I think that it's it's like, hey, this is not personal. Yeah, this is we want to run a longstanding narrative. There's certain things that I think everybody needs to agree to. And I would like to make sure that everybody is comfortable playing. Yeah, absolutely. This game. But but in on an online game, you don't blink twice. Right. When somebody's like, yeah, there's going to be at least two round interviews. There'll be an individual and like a panel or small short role play, like one shot or something. And you can word them and, in ways that don't make them feel so professional right. and, and, and online. <laughs> it's so much easier to just be like, hey, we're going to just have a call. I want to have a call with everybody really quick just to talk yeah. about them some, some stuff. You don't have to it, like, but I totally understand the need to word them like that just so that everybody's aware of what's happening. Personally, for me, like, I feel like th th I'm on that side where it's like, you're going to interview me. I'm playing a tabletop game. What are you interviewing right. me for? So like, I feel like a little weird when I, especially when I know it's a professional thing. Cause I'm like, should I dress up? What should I do? Does, this my, is a does my character need three years of experience uh, or a related like, uh, certification? <laughs> like, <laughs> So like, I, I always try to word it. it one person says like, when was the, when is the interview? And I don't like word using the word interview. When I talk to them, I'm like, no, right. we're just going to have a discussion. I'm just going to, we're just going to have a call probably on our own just to talk and most of the stuff I do on session zero where we all are talking but then if I feel like oh we should talk separately then I'll be like hey so I want to just meet with everybody a little separately whenever we can before the first session that would be great and so I try to word them in that way but even still when I do get that one person who's like hey we're gonna have the, these interviews and things I'm like my brain goes oh no professionalism I need a tie, <laughs> need a tie. I gotta polish my d20 no, um, I gotta like... pick out the best <laughs> dice oh gosh that's right uh, what if they judge them what if they're not the right D &D color do they match my outfit fine? oh god <laughs> maybe I should print it on vellum how, <laughs> how much of a backstory do I need or is that too much is that unprofessional if it's three pages long of a backstory <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly so like but i get the the need and and like it's honestly important that we do have these discussions with our players because we won't know and, and assuming that we know our friends is kind of like it's a little bit odd to say like i know everything about this person when in reality there there are things that you don't know even about your bestest of best friends so it's and especially mm -hmm. in if you've never played a tabletop game with them before right. so it's important that even if you do know them 100 percent to have that discussion because you don't know if you'll learn something or like you say with having the safety tools it's better to have it and not need it versus mm -hmm. not do it and then find out oh i did need to do that <laughs> yep so. It's uh yeah, I think I think it's totally fine to have discussions with your friends. Absolutely. About <laughs> about the well and yeah, I think it's just it's it just leans more and more towards the there's always other gaming tables. There's oh, yeah. always like you said, there's always going to be other GMs, there's always going to be other narrators out there that can maybe accommodate what you're looking for. Maybe you want a more rules-heavy game. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're less narrative, more munchkin. Yeah. Or on the other side, uh, more political intrigue, less combat. Right. Or, uh, you know, homebrew versus adventures league and rules as written versus intended versus 
chaos. <laughs> I'm always a fan but of chaos. So yeah, I totally understand. I love that chaos. Yeah. I'm all I'm all chaos. It, good yeah, it, it's definitely one of those things that you don't fully understand, and maybe sometimes they don't fully understand until the questions are asked too. So like I've had yeah. I've had people on my con- consent sheets that just say I trust you. And I'm like, don't just write nope. that. It's not about nope. trust. If you didn't trust me, you wouldn't play my game. Exactly. I know you trust me, but I I will make mistakes. I am a person. I'm a human being. <laughs> yep. And that just puts more on pressure. It, it's an unintentional effect of putting pressure on the DM. I know it's, that it's they intended mean, yeah, to be. That yeah, they're like, you're, gonna, you're, the you're a fantastic DM. There's no way you would hurt me. And if you did, it would be by accident. I totally understand. But just putting that down there, it adds that unintentional, like, oh, gosh, that's a lot of pressure. What does this mean? <laughs> what do you mean you what trust is- <laughs> me? I know you trust me. What? <laughs> Don't tell me that, because now I'm just dissecting our entire history together. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like- basically. <laughs> and I, I, I think we're, we're starting to understand safety tools more in depth. And I think that was one of the big things for my workshop as well as the accommodations and other things is consent is starting to change a lot. And I think it is because of a lot of the new people coming into tabletop, like how I just recently came in three years. So I have no idea how AD&D was played. I've never played an AD&D game, (laughs) but I know there's a lot of math (laughs) and I would do really badly with that. I'd have to have a calculator at every time. Uh, Like people will reference things from AD&D and I'll be like, I don't know what that is. Yeah, you didn't. You don't need to. And I don't Nobody need to, needs yeah. to know what Thatco is. I know, and I <laughs> that hate word that word. Is, is like, that comes up, and I'm like, the heck is that? Is that being That's used against me? What is this two, word? <laughs> that is two hit armor class zero. Oh, so zero was like the default armor class uh, in AD and D, and you could go up or down. So AD and D had negative numbers that you would try to roll to. And it was horrible. My brain already hurts. You had you lost. Yeah, you would me you would have like discussion. What? You'd be like you'd have an AC of negative four. <laughs> like yeah, that's awesome. Uh, like is it? I actually I don't remember if ne- I, I'm pretty sure negative was, <laughs> but I I I could even be wrong because we're talking to, like don't come at me guys. I was like seven. I, okay? I, I, <laughs> like, I'll stick with five E. Thanks right, though. Two yeah. <laughs> hit our two hit armor class zero is Thatco, and it's the most. Tor- I, I, the, the reason it is referenced is because it is so convoluted, <laughs> and there's so much math to uh, it. It is so ridiculous. Most people, it seems like when they use that word against me, it's against me. It's like you don't know what yeah. Thaco is. Don't talk to me about oh, Dungeons no. and Dragons. I'm no. like, don't gatekeep no, me with your are... math. <laughs> exactly. Do, anybody that's like, you don't know what Thaco is, be like, you don't either, because Nobody no does. one does. <laughs> I'll have to remember that argument for the next time that happens. It, just, it has happened do, more often than I'd like to admit, and that's the yeah, weirdest part about that's this. That's a shame. I'm sorry. It's I'm one sorry. of those things. It, they, because it should... It, it should only be ever used like spitefully towards themselves, <laughs> like ironically, like, oh, you don't it's know what about that. It sounds that, like from yo. what you're telling me, absolutely. And I think it, it it's, should be ironic because everyone should spit on that. <laughs> it's one of those things where they're like, AD and D was obviously the better choice, and then they start going like, come back to me when you know about Thaco. and I'm like, does anybody no. know what that is? And I'm just like, no. It's so funny, like, like especially like newer people that are coming into D and D. I hear so much about this gatekeeping mentality of them bringing up AD and D going like if you don't know mm-hmm. about this don't talk to me yet and i'm just like eh, i don't play your game it's fine i got my own it's i got 5e We're good. if you haven't seen a charlie chapman <laughs> film then don't talk to me about marvel cinematic <laughs> universe all right like like are you kidding me if you heard dolby sound or, or thq like if you haven't heard the blah like you're gonna come at me with your silent movie black and white stuff like i can respect the classic it's cool it's interesting it may even be good but you can't compare charlie chapman to thanos you can't oh, it's, so, it's so some of these arguments especially with AT&T, is it just makes me go all right no, that doesn't sound like much a of a discussion system. anyway <laughs> Oh no! Oh. Uh. Well, Hina, um, I, 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 uh, I am really enjoying the discussion, but I also want to make sure that we don't run over any sort of time limits here. So I always make sure to offer the end of the episode to my guest. So whether it is advice or discussions that we haven't gotten to, or shout-outs that you would like to give. I give the floor to you to help bring us out of today's discussion. Sure. Um, if I have to really end with any advice, it's um, make sure that care goes for both the player and the DM. Take care of yourselves if you're a DM. Take care of yourselves if you're a player and make sure your table feels loved and, and comfortable. That's really the goal of the table is for everybody's enjoyment 
including the GM. And I know that that can be hard for a lot of GMs to kind of, you know, go into. So take care of yourselves, take care of your players and let your players take care of themselves too. remind them that it's okay to take care of themselves and that you won't take offense. And um, if you're interested in coming to anything, uh, hopefully uh, I'll be having some more uh, TTRPGs with ADHD workshops over on Twitch. You can follow me over on twitch.tv slash GM Hina, where we do a lot of those kinds of discussions. And I'd love to see you there. Uh, the chat is always open and I'm super excited. Hopefully I can make some new friends. <laughs> Yes, very much so. And we'll have your links as well as your link tree. I believe you got like a, a Discord and a few other I wonderful do, places yes. that people can find you at. Yeah. So we'll have all of that and your Twitter handle uh, down in the show notes. So make sure to check those out. And uh, well, uh, we'll see Miss Gina in, uh, uh, sorry, GM Hina. I've, uh, <laughs> That's okay. I'm getting it a lot. Don't we'll feel bad. Today. I'm sorry. No, we're fine. <laughs> I'll talk to you again very soon. Thank you. That is all for the episode today. Thank you all so much for listening, and thank you to Hina for coming through and hanging out. It was such a blast. If you enjoyed this episode, consider clicking that star rating or dropping a review down in your podcast app of choice to boost this podcast, to get it in front of the eyes of the algorithm gods who will spread it to the ears of many more people. And uh, Or, you know, you could just tell a friend about it because that really makes a, a difference out there in the world. All of the links and contact information that we talked about today can be found down in the show notes, and if you want to keep in touch, you will find that I am most active on Twitter, at anddinners, that's A-N-D-D-I-N-N-E-R-S. If you are interested in supporting the show, or you'd like to get access to the entire catalog of exclusive bonus episode content, like today's minisode, where GM Hina comes back to talk more about accommodations in TTRPGs, games as a force of positive change, getting confused while running multiple sessions, and so much more, or you just want to help keep this podcast ad-free, consider tossing a few coins over to patreon.com slash dungeonsanddinners. If you're looking for another great podcast to listen to, check out my other broadcast. It's called Pick Up Your Sticks. It's a long-form podcast about why gaming matters, co-hosted by myself and my dear friend Walker Near. I'm really excited to be sharing this journey with you, and remember that love is the secret ingredient. Have a good day, friend. Thanks for stopping by.